Hello, Docalos. Welcome to yet another episode of The Documenteers. And I am very excited about this episode of The Documenteers because it is the first part of Penelope Spheres' iconic Rock Doc series. That's also as much about Los Angeles as it is about these punk and metal scenes that they discuss. But we are talking about the decline of Western civilization. And we are doing the first one here in this episode. Ginger is on this episode. And this is uh, this genre, these music, these bands. I know a lot about this stuff. This is music that, at least at one point in my life, I listened to quite a bit. I become a, uh, I'm a chatty Kathy in this one, maybe a chattier Kathy than I've ever been before, but you know what? I just, you know, I was just feeling this stuff and, and I, I was excited to get into it. I'm excited to get into all of them. Part two will be done with Stuart, the metal years. Part three will be done with Johnny and part three I've seen very little of. So I'm excited to dive into that one and contrast and compare over the years with these other documentaries and when we when we review and we rate and we criticize and we praise the western civilization documentaries it seems at least to me that i'm really just comparing them to each other not so much to any other documentary because they are iconic in their own right well you can't compare the decline of western civilization to a, a herzog film or, or or an errol morris film it's uh it's something in and of itself you know how it is you're 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 young you're into that punk shit and you gotta watch the decline of western civilization at some point in your life and you can watch this one and all of them pretty easy to find on the internet but it is a classic and hell if you wanted to rent it or buy it i'm sure penelope spears wouldn't mind we are on social media Ugh, i know social media find us on twitter instagram at documenteers also have a Facebook page. I personally, personally don't have a Facebook page, but there is a Documenteers fan page. We encourage you to go like it. Or there's there's two things you can do with your Facebook account. One, go like the Documenteers fan page. And two, if you don't do that, then you might as well just delete it. Just delete Facebook, deactivate it. Don't use it ever again and ignore it. Those are your two choices. If you're going to keep your Facebook You've got to select like on the Facebook fan page. If you're not going to do that, if you're never going to do that, you have to delete your Facebook account. It's the law, the docu law. Do what I tell you to do. You can also email us at documenteerspodcasts at gmail.com. Drop me a line. Let me know what you think, what you want. I like to provide. And a big help for the podcast, of course. And many have done this, and boy, I love you for doing so. You're a great listener. I consider you a friend, and you are all invited to my wedding. I'm already married. But if it ever happens again, I'm putting you on the list. And then I'll look at it and be like, hmm, they're really nice to me, but five stars and a review. The reviews are very important. A lot of people popping in on those five stars, I love it. I'll never complain about that, but reviews are very helpful too. And the reviews I found can say anything. Just kind of keep it clean. I was requesting Herzog erotica, and <laughs> I think if anyone did write any, I doubt it will ever show up. 
on an iTunes review. But yes, a review and five stars on Apple Podcasts or iTunes is a huge help to us and helps get the word out about the podcast to other people who like films and documentaries. A lot of people like documentaries. Uh, let's move the fuck on to the classic Penelope Spears documentary, The Decline of Western Civilization. Keep on doc. Now, here is a motion picture film. A thousand feet, 16,000 separate photographs. Let's tidy up this tangle of film by putting it on a reel. What do you like about it? Well, I like that it's like, it's something new and it's just reviving like old rock and roll and it's like it's raw again and it's for real and it's fun. this scene is listening to a lot of post-punk bands mm -hmm. and going into their influences and kind of looking back through them naturally led me to music of this era especially this west coast scene I also have a lot of love for like the the new york pre-punk stuff and all that stuff because i was getting into college when i started hearing this kind of music yeah. and then a little deeper into my 20s i went into a full-on west coast uh, u.s hardcore phase like going through all this stuff i, I mean nice. I, I think there's only only a couple of bands in this movie i don't really know that much about and, but most of the bands in this movie as much as what they put out i have a lot of these records so and i've read books on them like mm -hmm. uh, read stephen blush's american hardcore it's also a documentary called american hardcore yeah. maybe someday we'll get to it hey yeah down with that yeah it's stuff that i've been like the history of it i've been very interested in and there's there's other bands that were kind of west coast bands that were prominent at this time that i also really like like the minutemen and flipper and bands like that that mm -hmm. i got really into but they don't show up in in this movie and like the weirdos and bands like that in case y'all haven't figured it out this is part one of our decline series that's right we're going through every decline of western civilization movie Ginger, you're here. Yes. Welcome hello. to your second episode of the Documenteers. Thank you. I'm super excited. Um, Stuart, hopefully, will be doing part two, and Johnny will be doing part three, the nice. gutter punk years. Mm -hmm. But you and I will be tackling the classic, the one that started it all, Penelope Spears's The Decline of Western Civilization. Yes. And uh, I want to say about Penelope Spears is that she directed one of my all-time favorite movies, Wayne's World. She directed Wayne's yeah, World? she did. How did I not know that? Swing. 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 Right? Tentpole. That's, a, that's one of the few good SNL movies. The other being um, MacGruber. <laughs> I love MacGruber. MacGruber's fucking great. Yeah. Yeah. Very and, underrated. And Stuart saves his family. Uh, Al Franken got into some trouble, I guess. Okay, I haven't seen that one. But yeah, it's a lesser known SNL movie, but it's actually not bad. And do you remember the Stuart Smalley character? Yeah. He'd stare into a mirror and he's like yes. a motivational speaker. <laughs> yeah. I can't think of any other SNL movies that were really that great. Not at the Roxbury. I didn't really care for that much. We could get lost we in could. SNL history easily. Yeah. Penelope Spheris and her iconic... Film, The Decline of Western Civilization. This is a movie that was filmed through December of 79 to May of 80 in Los Angeles. And this is the Los Angeles punk scene. 
Yeah, kind of like the underground scene that was happening. And in in this movie, we see, gosh, there's something about the ethos to this to this era of punk that I still hold on to today. I know, you know, I was a, a, a I was a wee little thing when this movie first came out, mm. and when it was filmed, I think I was just in the belly. I mean, that's how young I was. In part three, it opens up with a lot of these kids saying that they weren't even born when the first movie came out. (laughs) It'll be interesting when we get to three because those are people are around our age. Mm -hmm. But the ethos of punk and what punk is, I take a lot of it from this era of punk. I mean, in the 90s, when I was getting older and I was a teenager, there was a lot of that pop punk stuff. It was like, it really just sounded like nasally power pop, just sped up a little bit. Uh, Like your Green Days, you blink 182s. It kind of sounded like everyone was doing a fat mic from no effects impersonation yeah. in the 90s. But there was some, like, non-poppy stuff going on. I mean... Yeah, there was. There bad was religion a, and... Right. Bad religion had been going on strong. There was a lot of those old acts were still around. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, maybe it's more so the ones that had kind of been around and were, and were continuing to exist around that time. While other things, other new things were kind of like coming up in minor threat like bands like yeah. minor threat yeah. gone to be fugazi yeah. which probably may be more influential in the long run but yeah i really got into a lot of those post-punk bands i mean some of those uh records in the late 80s and the early 90s a lot of them are still some of my favorite records today but i never really accepted the 90s ethos of punk or what that or at least the popular stuff and there was a lot of underground acts at that time but Growing up in rural Tennessee, you're not you're not going to hear about those fucking bands until you're old enough to travel and go to weird record stores, you know. Yeah, did you know did you have uh, friends in high school and stuff that were in bands or was it not really until college that you sort of like started in, meeting people? In the high school scene, you could listen to the fucking Afghan wigs and be like by yourself. It was like such it was so different in terms of what was and there were friends in bands. I don't recall any of them being in bands very good. They were very cool or good, yeah. And uh, the uh, the new metal scene was exploding when I was around sixteen, and it seemed like there was a lot of people I knew. I I can think of one punker dude in my school who did the full jacket and all that stuff and the spiky hair. A lot of other people were just kind of like into that new metal stuff when it started to really roll in the new metal scene. A lot of it's looked at as being really cheesy, and it is. It Give was, us some examples of, of new metal. Fuck, in the early days, it was bands like Korn. Are you ready? Uh, Deftones. Yeah. Um, Cold Chamber. I don't know if you remember that band. Vaguely. And then later, they'd get like a little more new wavy influence with like Orgy. Remember that band Orgy? Yeah. Anyway, a lot of this music does not hold up. Right. And Korn very quickly became like a parody of itself. But that's kind of what was dominating at the time. Yeah, I guess so. Looking back, I think I was a punk in terms of how I did and how I acted. And I mean, looking at how people are behaving in this movie, in some respects, it wasn't unlike how I behaved when I was 19 to 22. Or now, even. And I never never really had that punk uniform. And to this day, I don't really ever give a fuck about that. I just don't want to think too much about what I'm wearing. Looking back, I realized, like, I kind of was this without realizing I was that. I kind of was a punk without understanding truly where it came from. And it explains why a lot of this music made a lot of sense to me later in life. 
Yeah, so watching this, you felt like a real kind of connection to um, the sort of like vibe and energy and... Yeah, the energy is a big thing because that's kind of what is discussed a lot is the energy and the energy and the momentum of this music. And that really is what it's about. And you can get a lot of that listening through to the records, but the live performances were also a big deal too. We see the Circle Jerks in this movie. I've listened to some of their albums and not really glommed on to them. I like Circle Jerks. When seeing their live performance in this movie, I was like, wow. Yeah. It's one of the better performances we see. Definitely, yeah. It's that DIY aspect. You also see the negative aspects within it at the same time. It's all balled up together. I mean, I was never a guy that I maybe did a little pogoing in my day, a little shoving around in the pit kind of thing. But I've never really been a guy that's like understood or felt the need to like throw myself on top of people at shows. Like I literally just like the music. And sometimes I get stuck in that scenario. I think I was like 17 at a warp tour once. <laughs> and there was a uh, Rancid was playing. That was a big band at the time. <laughs> And they were talking, and all the people as the, the band was about to go on were talking about how, like, all right, we got to set up. There's going to be a circle fit. Circle fit. Everyone's going to, like, punch each other and do a big circle. And I remember going, like, I don't really want to get punched, and I don't really want to punch anyone. And everyone looking at me like I was, uh, 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 like, a church lady or something. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you know, sometimes it's just like music. But sometimes when you're in those moments and you are feeling the energy of that music, it is kind of, you don't know really where it's going to take you. I think the punching and the violence is kind of an extreme motion, but you can't not expect people to kind of like move their bodies in like right. spastic ways because that's kind of what else can you do with this kind of music? Your music is calling you to do it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I think if I go see uh, a punk show now, I'm pushing 40. I'm probably going to stand in the back. Yeah, yeah. Maybe like, sit at a table, a nice uh, high-top table or something. <laughs> yeah, 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 you kids have fun. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Don't block the band. Right. I'm going to watch the band. Swinging your arms in my direction. Yeah, as like a small female, there were shows that I kind of tried to dabble in, like the pit area. And it just, you know, I just didn't. It wasn't really something that I enjoyed. I got hit a couple of times, and I got knocked down once. And going into it, you're like, yeah, I could totally hang. I can like hold my own. No, I mean, it's just like a force beyond yours, especially like I say, as a small person who really is not in there otherwise violent or like very physically like aggressive at all. So, um, but you know, I mean, like I say, I have kind of feel the spirit a little bit and try to like get in there and yeah i've had people thrown on top of me without knowing they're coming i've yeah gotten like kicked in the face did that really need to happen for me to enjoy what was going on are you a cop bro i think you're a are cop you? when you're young and you're that age though it's just kind of like it is what it is yeah you have to kind of expect it and, and deal with it yeah opening up in this film we see a kid named eugene i don't know if he's in a band was he in any of the bands so. we get a mixture of like side interviews of members in the band Band and fans right and eugene he he talks about how he doesn't like the punk label and this is i totally get this yeah. when he says this because this is how i felt about it too like i don't like the label of punk i just think of it as rock and roll it's just taking all those old elements not verbatim and to me it's just it's just raw again it's fun it's that basic outline of rock and roll just stripped to its bare bones and that's what the fucking ramones is it's just like chuck berry but just sped up yeah maybe not as guitar talented but i know punk also gets that like oh you can't play your instruments and it's like i mean you watch the germs they represent a little more of that ethos but sure, the thing they is, didn't know how to play their instruments at first the accessibility of punk is also what's important of it even though a lot of these bands could not play something happens when you keep playing 
is that suddenly you know how to play. Yeah. I feel like punk is overtly dismissed for that. But, you know, I know a lot of people who are pretty good at guitar but cannot play as fast as some of these guys can oh, play, right, you yeah. know. Or can't drum with that speed. I mean, people see it as very repetitive, but like a good punk drummer can go faster than any drum machine or like a good metal drummer double kicking it could go faster than any machine. And that's pretty amazing. Keith Moon could drum faster than any like program during his day. We see a montage of bands reading an audience consent form. (laughs) Yeah, I love this part. And as snidely as snottily as possible. And it all ends in a you can fuck off. Yeah, I love it because uh, at, the, at the end, so it's a statement that's written by, I guess, either Penelope or somebody with the production crew for people to consent to being in the film. And they go through this whole thing um, and then they, ha- they end with a thank you. Some just say thank you and like walk off the stage, but some are like, mm. we have to say thank you, no stupid, you know, and like <laughs> and storm <laughs> off like, I don't want to say thank you, that's not punk rock. But it was kind of funny how each, these kids like interpreted this thing that they were forced to read but they love reading it because it's an opportunity to like ham it up (laughs) right exactly i think one theme throughout the decline series is hamming it up i mean they have this idea of what they are what their scene is and they are going to play it to the ultimate degree Mm -hmm. and in a lot of way it is kind of putting it on but these kids really are like like this in a lot of ways yeah but of course they're not in their downtime so when that camera's there they're like that all the time. Oh, yeah, yeah. This film features bands from the Alice Bag Band, nice Catholic Discipline, by The Germs, X, Black Flag, and Fear, and The Circle Jerks. And each band almost represents something, an aspect of the punk scene that's a little different than another band. Absolutely, yeah. Like Black Flag is just that, a lot of thrash, Mm -hmm. and they all have kind of a protest ethos to them to varying degrees or another. Catholic Discipline kind of represents a lot of that very not subtle, like, lyrics about these aspects of society that are bullshit. Very protesty band. X and Alice Bag Band kind of represent kind of more this art punk scene, more these kids who are very, who have a concentration on the aesthetic, but they're not like fear. They're yeah. not like Black Flag. They don't have it's kind of a, more like a lifestyle sort of spin yeah, to the lyrics. A bit more club friendly and yeah. not like uh, let's punch everyone in the fucking face. <laughs> right. Then you got the Germs, which embody more of that stereotype of a band that can't play, but still can have that energy. And then you got Black Flag is not quite, they can go in and out of that jocular style, but fear embodies the most go fuck yourself kind of attitude. Leaving pretty much says that <laughs> yeah yeah if you know a little bit about fear or have heard even a second of it you'll know that they actively want to piss you the fuck off yeah i mean i think he actually even says that like yeah at some point <laughs> circle jerks almost represent that classic sound and ideal of what like a punk band would be almost to yeah. this day first performers are x we see them performing the song nausea, nausea. their music is playing kind of over like the opening montage of the different we were kind of introduced to like the different some audience members some fans some of the some of the band members that we're going to see later on and footage of people like mugging for the camera and like a very punk rock ways it's really fun it's a kind of it's a really fun opening scene it's interesting to see the fans hanging out 
because it's uh, especially during this era to see how it was in a way it's almost not that much different than when i came upon these later versions of these scenes yeah these crowds that wanted to make sure that they barely looked interested Mm -hmm. and then other people that are just kind of near the middle just waving (laughs) their bodies around yeah and it just seems like you know something's never really changed no and i was telling you earlier that watching this i had to kind of keep reminding myself that this is 1979 this is 1980 and not like yeah 90 or whenever you know or maybe a little bit later when I was sort of more getting into this music it just feels so so familiar to me it didn't seem like it was like that long ago but but it kind of is we'll see X hanging out and there you see Xine Cervenka she's wearing like almost gothy makeup in a way just very made up and and her band mates are wearing like sweatshirts and flannels like they look like people that I hung around with in college totally yeah not that different. I liked how you saw Darby crash just hanging out. Mm-hmm. You, there was plenty of shots of Darby just hanging. Yeah, and just he's, kind of milling about. He, yeah. He's the late singer of the Germs. He's dead now. Yes. Been dead a long time. Rest in peace. We meet a Wayne Mayotte. He owns Club Eighty Eight. Yeah, and he's kind of describing punk, and he seems to have an understanding of it. He's like he an does. old. Yeah, he's an older man. Mm-hmm. But he's like the kids. They just need to get this energy out. It's just kind of yeah. He's like a he's yeah. He's got a very like calm understanding of it, and he's what it is probably seventies or something. I would say yeah. And uh, he sure don't want to put it down. I mean, it makes him a little money, right? Yeah, which is interesting because like most of these, most if not all, especially the Germs, were banned from performing at this point. At this time of the time of filming, they had been banned from almost everywhere because of the violent aspects of the shows. So it was kind of cool to see. This club owner sort of like have not not have like a really overtly negative viewpoint. We meet a uh, Brendan Mullen. He was the he's the owner of the mask. He talks about how each band, how the speed and the energy is just incredibly important. It's a music that is not normal to dance to. So what occurs is a style called pogoing. Right. Yeah. It's more about adrenaline than trying to have some kind of idea of a dance you're supposed to do in a moment. It's just a natural reaction. Pogoing is something that just ended up happening. I don't. I, I would say anyone who practiced pogoing before shows at home was probably maybe not getting the gist of <laughs> right. it. Can you describe pogoing for me? Or why don't you do it and I'll describe what you're doing. Okay, well. So Bobby's standing up. Pogoing would, I, you still see it nowadays. Yeah. Oh yeah, but, it's, a go, uh, it's a go-to. But it's like... It's bouncing. A lot of times it's like, you know, kind of like your arms are stiff to your side sometimes. And it's, it's like a hop. He's doing really well. He's knocking into stuff. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> Did a lot of pogoing in my day, you know, without really probably even knowing what I was Putting doing. Putting a name to it. No, yeah, you just you just do it. It comes but, naturally. But nowadays it's a lot of this. Describe this. like Head nodding. With his eyes closed, he's head nodding. The nice, rhythmic, calm head nod. And then situation. sometimes, and then sometimes I do this. He's got his hands behind his head. His, his elbows like wings on either side of his head, and he's gyrating, gyrating back and forth. Um, that's <laughs> that's how I dance. <laughs> he was really going for it. Yeah, he has eyes closed too. I mean, again, he's, that's, a, that's a theme. Yeah, it's like I, I imagine myself in heaven or something. You probably go that exact tempo, no matter how fast or slow <laughs> yes. the music is. Yeah. No matter how fast it is, it's just a slow pelvic thrust. Pelvic thrust, pelvic swirl. I want to write that down and take those dance styles out into the world. I'll try to film it later. We can post it, and you can make a GIF out of it to send to your friends. The first band we focus on, truly, 
It opens up with an X performance, but we go into Black Flag with a performance of the song White Minority. Black Flag. Sung by frontman at the time, Ron Reyes. He is after Keith Morris and before Des Cadena. Ron Reyes would walk from the band later. I, I, Not too long after this, I think. I think no. Yeah. I think he walks from the band like in the middle of a show because he's complaining about the overt violence at yeah. shows, which I kind of feel him. And he like apparently walked in a show and he came back to record Jealous again. Mm -hmm. But then that was it for Ron Reyes. I think in the 2000s, he would show up for various re reunions. But I liked the fact that, I mean, Henry Rollins is the most iconic Black Flag frontman. Yeah. I really like that it was one of like those middle of the pack guys. I really, I like, yeah. I really like Ron Reyes, yeah, and I don't think about Ron Reyes that much. I totally forgot that he was a frontman for Black Flag when this movie was made. And again, that's one of those bands where the lineup changed. I mean, you, you yeah, it's it's I've, changed a lot over the years. It did, and I like how Steve Harris was the architect of Iron Maiden mm -hmm. in the last movie we covered. Greg Ginn yep. is pretty much the Steve Harris of Black Flag. Yeah, absolutely. He had very specific vision for Black Flag. Mm -hmm. They practiced all the time yeah. to the point where the other band members were just like, for fuck's sake, Greg. <laughs> right. Post-Ron Riz, the Descadena era of Black Flag, which was very short, is personally one of my favorite periods of Black mm, Flag. Yeah. And I like Henry Rollins, too. I got some of those records, but... Sure. There's just something about Des Cadena's voice that I always really liked. And Ron Reyes was not that far off either. Right. He was also a really good singer. Black Flag lives at a place called The Church. <laughs> it used to be a Baptist church. And Ron says that he pays only $16 a month. He lives there with Robo. And their actual sleeping quarters are quite interesting. It's like a... Uh, uh, like a closet, basically. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, Ron lives in an actual closet, I think. Looks like, I think Robo sleeps in a drawer, a giant drawer, basically. Up, up in the air, up in the wall. Like, I don't know, did they, did like they show Like an old a, duct or something? Yeah. Like an old duct space? Something, I don't, even, I don't know if they showed a ladder to get up to it, but basically, Ron walks over and lifts up like a curtain or like a little door on the wall, maybe like, what, six feet up? on the wall and it's just basically enough room for someone to crawl in there like an mri machine get in and sleep and that's it i lived in new york for a long time and i saw some really small apartments but this was a <laughs> this was extreme they shared it with hippies apparently which yeah. they didn't they, <laughs> right. they didn't mind sharing it with them they didn't say yeah. anything bad about the hippies. they don't they don't mind the hippies because right. they're high all the time and it pacifies them <laughs> i love how greg ginn looks like a giant nerd Yes, right? Yeah, I love it. And that's kind of the aspect of the punk that I kind of get, you mm -hmm. know, is Greg Ginn, hugely influential in this scene. Yeah. But he was never a guy that, like, felt the need to have sleeveless leather jackets and mm -hmm. put shit in his hair. He'd grow his hair out long. Yeah, kind of got, like, a Thurston Moore sort of look. Yeah, him, yeah, like. not, not too bad at all. And another one of my favorite bands from that scene is the Minutemen. Yeah. And I would read books about how people will go to see Black Flag and then this band would come up. Two dudes look like they're dressed like lumberjacks. One guy's got a huge beard and the drummer looks like a surfer bro. And everyone's like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> but Minutemen's not in this movie. No, they're not. Nope. Just Black Flag. Mm -hmm. And they're talking about how they've been banned from the whiskey. Bands that get banned from one club, those clubs will communicate. They club 88. There was like a huge riot. The Black Flag show. Talk about how they got a bad reputation for some reason. People get wild when we play. And Greg says, when asked what Black Flag means, 
He says, Oh, it means anarchy. Trying so hard to be as stereotypically punk. I know. It seems like a stereotype. We got to remember that conceptually, this scene was very new at this time. Yeah. And almost looking back on, like today, it's like old hat, almost like a, all right, yeah, we get it. But back then, it was something that a lot of people knew nothing about. And it was not very readily embraced, for sure. We see another performance of Revenge. This song's called Revenge, and it's for them. It's not my imagination! I gotta go to my back! Ron Reyes dedicates the song to the LAPD because they got arrested at Blackie's for causing a riot. We move on from Black Flag and we meet Nicole. She's the manager of the germs. Yes. Bless her heart. Nicole looks like no shrinking violet. She looks like she's been around, like she loves the music and loves the scene. But she's the manager of this band called The Germs, which are like, if a train wreck could form a band, it would be The Germs. Yeah. And there's not many clubs booking The Germs lately. They have a very poor reputation. And Darby Crash, the iconic frontman, who has long since been dead, for reasons we'll get into here. Yeah. He's asked like why he hurts himself because mm. he used to cut himself on stage mm. and do all this shit. Yeah. He says he hurts himself on purpose to keep from being bored. They ask why he gets so loaded before because he's always like beyond hammered in every mm. show. I mean, to a disturbing degree, really. Yes. Yeah. To where other punks are like, dude, you got to pick up your mic. Pick up your <laughs> mic. So much scolding. Yeah, yeah. He says he started to do it because he to not get bored. They didn't know how to play their instruments. They had to kind of like distract. But then he, a little bit later on, they ask why, maybe why he keeps doing it. And he says, because it's, it's scary for him. Cause at this point they're so close. They're playing so close to the audience. The audience gets really violent and they've made enemies at this point. They kind of expect a certain degree of violent showmanship from him mm-hmm. that he is actually scared of the injuries that he gets. So he gets, loaded so he doesn't feel them on stage which then you know it kind of creates this whole like cycle that really stuck out to me that he said the thing about it's almost like a throwaway comment but you could tell that he really it was something that was important to him that you know there was like a fear element to it darby was full-on embodied that yeah he was fucked up yeah he did not have a good uh good uh, time growing up and the germs like you listen to their record they did have that rep of not being good at playing but there's something about why that band is so well well regarded in the punk scene to this day because their personalities they were only they could not fake it right they were who they were and while many other members of the band grew up and moved on that it conveyed in their live shows and it even conveyed in their studio recordings when they're setting it up like you can hear it yeah. darby's singing a little bit better on the albums than he than he because then well, he is yeah. live <laughs> but not much yeah like you can you can hear the train wreck in all versions of the germs the germs is the ultimate fuck you to accessible music And music that is easy. The footage, which was not very much, but the footage of of them was to me the most interesting or poignant because you see this guy who's just, he just looks like a mess on stage. I mean, he can't sing to the microphone. He can't find the microphone sometimes. He's 
howling and screaming and can't really they luckily they have like you know the whatever it's called like the where the lyrics at the bottom of the screen and stuff while he's singing because he can't really get the lyrics out and i really like that they showed the lyric i loved i love that and especially during i think manimal Like when he's drawing, he's drawing on, on his face. He's having the audience draw on him. He reads so, and it's a really cool song if you read the lyrics. And you just can't, he just can't, he just can't get the lyrics out. But <laughs> then you see Pat smear. Maybe it's just his face. Mm. He's kind of like looking like, uh, like, like he's just over it a little bit. You know, they'll cut to him sometimes. And he's just kind of gazing off. Yeah, Pat smear will go on to be in a later iteration of uh, Nirvana. Yeah, it will go on to play with Dave Grohl and Foo Fighters. That's right. Yeah. He is up in this movie. He is. He's all up in it. Yeah. We see Darby in a kitchen with this woman named Michelle. Maybe it's his girlfriend or just a friend. It's never clarified, really. It's not. Yeah. But Michelle tells this weird story. <laughs> My parents were in China, and we were just finishing having the um, house painted. And Darby and Donnie and Dinky and Mark Plummer and my brother were all at my house. And my brother and I went to take the trash out at like one in the morning or something. And we hadn't been out in the backyard. It was on a Tuesday. We hadn't been out in the backyard since um, my parents left, since like a, the Friday before. And so anyways, um, I went outside and I must have walked right over the guy because I couldn't see anything anyways. And then my brother, my brother goes to me, isn't there somebody sleeping in the backyard? And I just went, what? What are you talking about? And um, I went over and looked at him, and I was just joking. I went, this guy's dead. And I gave him a kick in the stomach, you know, and he was dead. He was dead. So anyways, um, we went, and Donnie had a camera, and we went and we lied down. I lied down next to him. We all got around, and we took a bunch of pictures, like family pictures, and we're all going... Hi, you know, and taking pictures and stuff. It was really funny. And then the director, Penelope, says, did you feel bad? No, not at all, because I hate painters. <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't care at all, because I hate, and I thought she was going to say something racist or something. Sure. Because I hate painters. Painters. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's just, of course you hate painters. Painters are the worst. Well, that's the thing about these scenes, and there's the fact that these are young people. Yeah. That everything is snide. Everything is just designed to piss you the fuck off. Yeah. Yeah. Every I, breath. They're like, I think, uh, I think Darby at this time is like 22, I mm, think. Mm. Um, so this group is probably in their 20s. And it's interesting because speaking of age, you'll see throughout the film, like some people are like in their 30s, like Lee Bing is like 30 when we're seeing the footage here. And I think the people in X are also like in their 30s and stuff, but then they're also seeing like really young kids. So that was kind of cool to me to see like kind of an age range there. But but yeah, but anyway, Michelle and Darby are young. Yeah. Youngins. But Nicole would quit being the manager <laughs> yeah. of the germs. I think in like March, uh, the the footage goes to May of 80. Right. I think she walked that March. Yeah. She had a tough job there, so. <laughs> the professional cat herder. Imagine hurting cats, but every cat is, like, drunk beyond belief. And he's trying to, like, hurt themselves or <laughs> everyone around them, yeah. We meet a man named Kickboy Face. He's like a... Claude Bessie, yes. Claude Bessie. He's from yeah. France. He's the front man for Catholic discipline. I don't, I don't know much about Catholic discipline. This is kind of... I don't know a ton either, yeah. But he says, and this is interesting, because New Wave 
what is being called new wave is just blowing up. And he says, there's no such thing as new wave, not verbatim. There's no such thing as new wave. New wave is just a way to say you don't like the boring rock that's been around forever. And you can say new wave without saying you're punk because people might get turned off or pissed if you say you're punk. Mm -hmm. The truth is it's just punk and there's no such fucking thing as new wave. When I think of what new wave is, I kind of think of the more polished uh, uh, synthesizer driven music that would come about just slightly like a year or two later. A lot of like English bands and stuff like that. They kind of did a lump a lot of this stuff into new wave. I think I have a a new wave compilation record downstairs somewhere that features Iggy Pop and Mm -hmm. uh, (laughs) Patti Smith and Lou Reed. And it's like, oh, okay. It's it's interesting how these terms evolve over time. Right. Kick Boy, he pisses people off a lot. On purpose. He wants to. Yeah. But he he likes the hate. He feels like if people hate him, and this is probably how the punk scene is viewed by many people. If they're not hated, then they're not doing their job. Then we see Catholic Discipline perform Underground Babylon. I think this is the only band feature that has a prominent keyboardist, mm-hmm. Robert Lopez. I kind of like that keyboard sound in there, at least with their style that they were playing. Reminds me, there's a there's kind of a noisy keyboard synth band called The Screamers that came out of L.A. at the time, which if you want... Um, very low-fi, hard-to-listen-to punk music, then uh, I would recommend uh, picking up some Scream or some. You can probably find some demos online, but they became very influential to that Los Angeles scene. I forget her name, but the front, the singer of Berlin. Oh, right. Uh, who who sang the song Taking My Breath Away from <laughs> Top Gun. Yeah, yeah. She cited the Screamers as a big influence on uh, her band. Mm, okay. It's interesting like how you listen to the Screamers. Let me play the Screamers for a minute. Play it, play it. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah. Um, I was doing your dance, by the way. I was like doing the head nod. I wasn't doing the gyrating dance. I was doing the head nod. So imagine someone hearing that song, and then eight years later, they write the So many people moved in and out of these punk songs. Oh, gosh, yeah. You wouldn't believe. Yeah. Moby claimed to be a member of Flipper, and Flipper's like, I don't remember. (laughs) Really? Remember. Yeah. Maybe he wasn't going by Moby then. Maybe it was like Joe. <laughs> Joe. Joe Moby. Yeah, back to Catholic Discipline. Actually, they, they play two songs. The next one they play, I think it's just two, is Barbie Doll Lust. I wait a little bit, and I stick a finger inside of my pocket. I run for your blonde hair, and you try to bite me. I actually kind of like that. It kind of had this kind of cool, that like... That was a good one. Yeah, I liked that. It was real, like, the lyrics were um, a little creepy. And uh, Kickboy reads a letter from a fan. And as he's reading the letter out, the footage is cuts to a fan at the show. And you see all the facial expressions he's making. Mm-hmm. And like how this fan can't stop himself from moving around. Just so well done watching Kickboy read that letter while you're looking at this guy just getting charged up. Mm-hmm. And the the editors and the filmmakers did a really good job of capturing how this affects people, how this music really affects people. And it was just what I would like to call is uh, 
for me, I guess, you know, documentary chocolate cake <laughs> is subjective to whoever watches the documentary. But yeah. for me, this is like what this whole movie is about, like right there. Yeah, I totally agree. We move on to X. Yeah. We see a burning X. Yes. That is their iconic cover to their 1980 record, Los Angeles. And X is a band that I've listened to a lot. I really dig them. Yeah, they're a good they're a good band. And they're kind of more like we said, my, that art house kind of punk kind mm-hmm. of scene. Like a little more toned down. They're not as likely to get kicked out of the clubs as the Germs or Black Flag might. Right. They can work with promoters a little more. They're like more chilled out. I mean, they're getting drunk and loaded like everyone else. But, but there's something maybe more like pleasing to... To their sound, maybe mm. also to to promoters and club owners and stuff. Like, I mean, John, I think John Doe and Xene, they're like the vocalists together. Yeah, and I really just like that. Come, it's a good combination. Yeah, I think nowadays John Doe is doing like folkier, countryish mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Yeah, and here's a fun fact about Xene: she was briefly married to Viggo Mortensen. Whoa, really? Yeah, isn't that interesting? That is interesting. Yeah, who would have? Uh, I wouldn't have uh, picked those two. To go together, but yeah. What a fun fact. Yeah, that's what I'm here for. <laughs> Billy Zoom, uh, he doesn't want a tattoo. They're all tattooing themselves. Uh, yeah, yeah, with this like stick and poke tattoos. Yeah, they well, look really good. Prison style. Yeah, yeah there's. Yeah. They seem pretty good at it. Yeah. But Billy doesn't want one. Billy Zoom doesn't want a tattoo. It's too trendy. They talk about how they get less club hassle. They are a little yeah. more uh, negotiable. And and Xene is going on about chick tracks. I love chick tracks. <laughs> Xene collects them as well. Mm-hmm. And they are these just extremely evangelical little comic strip booklets. Yeah. Whenever I find one, I get really excited. A lot of times evangelicals will hand them to you for free. Uh-huh. One time I bought a comic book online and and in the bag with the comic was a chick track. Like oh, wow. the person I got it from was like trying to get me to the Lord. But oh, they're so good. Yeah. And they're they're offensive. <laughs> Mm-hmm. They are offensive in every way, unless you're an extreme evangelical. Right. I think even other hardcore Christians are like, look, we don't really, you don't need to listen to <laughs> everything a chick track says. Yeah. I just want to point that out because I love that shit too. Mm-hmm. And if I ever meet Xene, I'll probably just talk about chick tracks. Yeah, you can bond over over that. And your mutual love of Vigo Mortensen also. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, Vigo. His, tell me about his penis. Oh. <laughs> Paint me a picture. Penelope asks this question. I don't know if you caught this. It, it was very subtle. I found it very funny. I mean, they're drunk. They're at yeah. X's place. They're all drunk. And Penelope asks, Do you have the hiccups? Mm. And then she just moves on. <laughs> it was so, yeah. But sometimes Penelope will throw out questions. It almost has this sense of naivety about it. Almost like, what are you talking about? Why are you asking that question? But at the same time, if you're going to observe this culture, it is kind of important to kind of come at it from that. It makes That's the true. culture explain itself. You know, it's actually kind of good she's not throwing all these presumptions. But it can kind of make her sound a little clueless sometimes when she's asking questions. I thought the same thing. And it's, it's interesting. Yeah, I'm glad that you brought that up because you definitely, you never see her, but you hear her a lot. You hear a lot, her a lot asking questions and interacting with the people that she's interviewing and stuff. And And that's a good example of kind of like, she kind of sounds like a mom or something. Yeah. It's like asking. I thought that was a really interesting kind of uh, addition 
too. This has sort of made it feel a little more. What you kids maybe, doing? Yeah, maybe sincere or some. It added kind of like a little level of like sincerity or something to hear this yeah. almost motherly sounding lady asking these questions, you know, and they're pretty much answering her. Yeah, yeah, it's in, they're answering her as sincerely as yeah. they, as young punks possibly can. Exactly. Yeah. But Billy, Billy wiggles his ears, and she goes, "How did you learn to do that?" <laughs> It's like, well, it just seems like something you could either do or you can't. Like, what's the learning? And he's like, oh, I don't remember. She also asks Exene if she's a happy person. And Exene actually gives a really good answer. I don't think of myself as a happy person, but I had fun tonight. I know this concept of happiness is important to everyone. Like, everyone everyone feels like they need to project this notion of happiness. But I feel like this constant expectation of happiness is it's making us not being able to deal with the times in our lives where inevitably we're not happy. Yeah. Is the concept of happiness the the idea that you are just constantly happy? That that there isn't any room for unhappy feelings. And if you do feel some sort of like not happy feeling, does that mean that you are essentially an unhappy person? Yeah. In other cultures, they're not as hung up on this concept as we are. It's not this idea of like, we need to work on our happiness. Right. It's about accepting the moments when they are not. I think our culture expects happiness so much that in the backlash of that, it means we're not very good at it. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. That's the obvious kind of discontent that people are feeling. It makes everyone else so uncomfortable and like sort of like, you know, and makes us say, well, why is that? Yeah. Why can't we just let someone be frustrated or angry or express certain feelings and emotions and not feel like we need to like own it somehow i wonder if she asked darby crash that question if, if she did we didn't see it could have just cut it out we know <laughs> right, right we only know what she showed us yeah x sings two more songs johnny hit and run and about a sex assault fantasy or something yeah it's about this guy who um who wants to basically have sex every hour for 24 hours straight with this one girl whether she wants it or not wow i think it's a john doe who's saying something like well who wouldn't who wouldn't want to have sex every <laughs> hour for 24 hours i think uh, the baby boomer generation the hippie generation there uh, as time has gone on there's been a lot more, I feel like when we were kids, that generation was like, uh, this is the generation where things mattered. And as we're getting older, you're hearing a lot more people talk about the flaws of that generation mm-hmm. more often, especially the hippie culture and how it presented itself as something that was transcending like the bullshit of their parents. But really, they were hanging on to a lot of that more of that old bullshit than they realized that they were. The hippie culture is getting a lot more of that criticism and rightfully so these days the punk movements the early punk movements they had their own unique versions of a lot of those same problems yeah there was a lot of things that they thought that they were above that they were still hanging on from previous generation and i think that a lot of the the more contemporary punk movements definitely understand that like queer culture is a lot more accepted in modern punk context or in garage context and stuff like that the afro punk scenes have grown a little less racial segregation even though it's still it's quite a bit of white people but at this time there was just so many lines in the sand that were just thrown down in the way people treated women a lot of things that made that that peak hardcore punk scene of the west coast blow up was when 
basically the guys that used to beat you, the captain of the football team who beat you up in high school suddenly starts going to these shows and stuff because he can punch people here, you know. Yeah. These kids might get mad that they're punching them out in the hallways at school, but then they go to these shows and they're doing it to each other. Mm-hmm. The sexism and the racism and all and the homophobia. These were elements of things that maybe they did not transcend as well as they possibly could. A lot of these are just guys trying to just piss you off and rile you off. I think there's a lot of that too. Yeah. But they're hanging on to a lot more bullshit than they really think they really are. Yeah, it's interesting. At some point, we I think it's during the interviews with like some of the band members and some of the fans, several in a row are like, we hate women. We don't like girls. Yeah. But we want, we want, want to, Pat Smear even says, I probably hit lots of girls in the face. I don't like girls very much. There's a real sexist vibe, and you kind of see it in the shows, too, like some of the footage of like the crowds and stuff. And Pat Smears is a very soft-spoken guy. Yeah. One might also attribute like feminine qualities to mm-hmm. him. And I'm sure if you asked Pat that same question now, he'd be like, like, I was like a dumb fucking kid yeah. in a train wreck band yes. back then. Mm-hmm. I do not. I mean, obviously, he probably would not feel the same way. And a lot of this is posturing, too, I'm mm-hmm. sure, because... Uh, they, they, people won't like it if I say this, so I'll say that. There's a fight in the crowd during the X song, We're Desperate. One of my favorites. Yeah, I was a big fan. Kiss, kiss, okay. The fight in the crowd leads to a security meeting. One of my favorite parts <laughs> of this movie. Yeah, yeah. They're talking about how there's a fight, there's this guy who's telling like some new security recruits are getting like the security lecture for these shows he's like there's a fine line between pogo dancing and fighting but then they say some weird shit if you see somebody you know come up come here dutch if you see some somebody over there with grabbing a girl and you know, shaking and shit and throwing them up against the stage you know grabbing her ass or whatever they're dancing they're having a good time you know, she may be crying, but she may be loving it as weird as these kids can get. This time we're in a Me Too movement, you know? Yeah. And uh, we're taking a lot of this shit way more seriously than we used to. When you kind of look back on certain points in history, it's kind of no wonder we have these kind of movements now because shit was just fucking ignored for a very long time. Absolutely. And yeah. the punk scenes, uh, no doubt about it, I love this music, but there's a lot of bro energy in, in those rooms. Matt Wilson, the promoter for the club, he's talking about how bands have to work with the promoters and it could be a rocky relationship, but there's no other choice. Yeah. You can't true. you can't get a show any other way. I mean, it kind of sounds like he's complaining about this genre in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. but he's like, the only performance that is, a, that is a success to these guys is one that becomes just a complete and total fucking meltdown. Right. He's maybe not wrong in a lot of these bands' cases. Like, yeah. it's all about that energy, but... You don't know where that energy is going to go. And, you know, I'm sure, you know, Black Flag doesn't want every show to turn into a big fist fight. But I think that's a kind of a reoccurring theme. Like you kind of hear the bands even say that. And we see with like Ron saying he's going to leave and even Darby like kind of expressing some concerns and getting loaded so he could deal with the violence that happened. Yeah. Like I, I think it was something that was like part of it and expected, but not necessarily enjoyed or wanted. Yeah. For sure. You could imagine that, like, when you're first jumping into this, it can seem exciting to, like, survive a pit or, like, take a blow and then move on, and you're just so adrenalized. Mm. But then you do 50 to 100 more of these shows, and you're like, can we do, can we have some now where there's no punching? You know, I can imagine just burn out on that real quick. Mm -hmm. Now we see 
The Circle Jerks, one of the best performances, I think, in this whole movie. That drummer is really good. He's so fast. Man. Yeah, yeah. There's not a lot of interviewing of The Circle Jerks. No. There's no it's just the show. Mm-hmm. But it's worth it to be in the movie because it is probably one of the best shows in the whole yeah. movie. And the way they're flowing out and the, there's fans like coming up onto the stage and singing some lines. <laughs> right. It's like they're cycling. It's like they've really got that momentum down mm-hmm. and kind of how they're cycling in and involving people in the audience. Yeah. It seems like they were really good at doing that. And Keith Morris was the original singer of Black Flag, mm-hmm. left Black Flag to Joel to start this band. Keith Morris shows up in part three of Decline, where he's kind of like the older punk that explains the context of these scenes. Mm-hmm. And he has white dude dreads. Looks right. like he came in his hand and rubbed it in his hair. Right. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get to that in the Johnny episode. We've got Greg Hetson who goes on to Bad Religion. Mm, right. Yeah, that, that's it's a good it's a good performance. Then there's another fight in the crowd. Not unusual. No. At these shows. Not unusual. To be loved by anyone. We go back to Eugene. You remember that kid. And it's not just Eugene, but like a mixture of fans and yeah. band members. It's, we hear Pat Smear talking about how he's hit women in the face and stuff. You kind of say that Eugene is a little baby angel child he, looking, he looking lo- kid. He looks like he's 12. He does. He's got this like sh- really short hair and his little baby face. He totally like talks like a server, like yeah. Like, he's uh-huh. so, yeah, he's California he's as well. He's just um, he's got some interesting opinions. He talks about the fighting because yeah. the seeing the fight at the Circle Jerk show kind of leads into discussion of the violence at the shows. And he talks about how when I go to concerts, it's like my friends get beat up by my friends, you know. Then it's like fucked, you know. It's because like they're not beating up the right people. They're not beating up the fucking posers they're beating up just like just my friends it's fucked you know the the violence that breaks out it's not really picking and choosing that much it's just becomes like this mess who's ever closest we talked to various people people who like to beat people up mm-hmm. and people who put other people in the hospital or have been put in the hospital and you're talking about it's a scene where a fight breaks out and then people will run from the side of the venue just to, just to ki- just to kick people who are getting beat. Yeah. And they don't know these people. They didn't do anything to them. It's just like about being a part of that. These punk rock scenes in their prime, they're always like a Roman candle just burning up. It's like yeah, bright as hell, but it's going to flame out. It's just you can't maintain it at that level. The people who are involved often just kind of move on especially once they get good at playing their instruments, they, yeah. they form different kinds of bands mm-hmm. and are, are leaving that shit to the next younger crowd that just comes up. Eugene also says, like, racist shit, too. One, one guy, his name's Michael. He's the guy that likes to beat people up. He says how um, his stepdad is a cop. Mm-hmm. that he saw his dad at the movies oh yeah his stepdad at the movies and they acted like he didn't know him because i guess he's well out of the house he had <laughs> an x like shaved into the top of his head penelope asked why you have an x in your head and he's like i'm x head pretty obvious yeah. once he says it yeah he was an interesting guy for sure and before he kind of tilted his head down so i could really see the top of his head I was like, what is happening? What's going on with his head? Is this some strange? Because, you know, he has like these tufts of hair kind of coming up and these blank spots on his head. Mm-hmm. And then, I mean, he's got, it is just a full X covering the top of his head with like little, little pieces of 
you know, hair yeah. coming through. Once he bent his head down to show you, it, it looked cool. Yeah. You should, looked, you should do that to your own head. I, I'm already like balding. It's like the X is like going to disappear. Like, yeah, you can maybe like <laughs> put it towards the back a little bit maybe. Maybe like tiny X's like yeah. throughout the backs. Yeah. <laughs> we see an Alice Bag performance. Um, bag, I, Alice Bag, I probably know the least out of all these bands. Me too. I enjoyed it. I mean, it's it was kind of fun. It was funny to watch because at first, like, people are not really looking like they're into it. Yeah, they're just kind of like standing around, maybe watching a little bit. And it's not until she's really getting into like this the the kind of standard heavy driving sort of like screaming beats kind of punk sort of situation that people really start like physically getting into it, the, the audience. And even then, this, the crowd seems relatively calmer than they do at all the other shows. Yeah. So almost like, oh, Alice Bag is on. Let's decompress for yeah. a little bit. Let's take let's, a breather. Let's, yeah. do, let's shotgun our beers. Mm-hmm. We talked to Wayne at Club 88 again, and he talks about how he's describing the pogo dance, and he understands the, the, the release that these kids need. They're bored. And the pogo just represents them moving the energy out. Yeah. But he but he clarifies his knowledge of this by saying that I'm a dance man myself. Yeah. Been a been a, been a dance man for many years. Yeah. He's I, precious. I kinda like Wayne. I do too. Um but yeah this Alice Beck show and I think I had this I had this written down. We see in the audience, we see Darby kind of in the audience. We also see Belinda Carlisle <laughs> in the audience too. Just sort of like there enjoying the show, I guess, which was fun. A little off topic to go back to the germs. So at some point they were banned from everywhere and they had to change their name to GI, which is Germs Incognito, so they could actually get into clubs and play. <laughs> but I feel like I remember reading that um, in order to film for this documentary, they had to rent a soundstage to have this performance. Uh-huh. And so they invited people to come see it because they couldn't get into any clubs anywhere. I, I could be wrong. And again, callers. Call Bobby at home. Tell him if I'm wrong about this. One eight hundred documenteered Werner Herzog. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I thought that was really interesting. They had to kind of arrange this whole thing because they just could not get authentic footage anywhere. It makes sense because at the time of the shooting, they said they were banned from most any club yeah. in LA. Yeah. So fun facts. Fun facts. Now we move on to our final performance of the movie. Mm-hmm. Fear, the insult punk band. <laughs> It's like a roast when fear gets on the stage. <laughs> it is. No, nobody is safe. They want to make sure that before they start playing their music, that you do not like them. Fairly infamous fear performance. Yeah. They were on SNL. They were. This was SNL's weird year after Lorne Michaels really got that show going. He left for a year mm-hmm. and another guy came in. John Belushi was friends with uh, Ving Lee. Leaving. Leaving. Yeah. <laughs> Ving Lee. <laughs> leaving of fear and he booked fear to perform on snl <laughs> right and the people i guess the they didn't really know what was going on they uh i i, I saw an, i watched an interview with leaving where he's talking about how they're checking into this very nice hotel and everyone in the lobby is like wearing like nice suits and tuxedos yeah. and they're like hey we're fear we're uh playing on saturday Night live and uh, we're gonna be here all week <laughs> <laughs> oh. But pretty much they they perform beef bologna <laughs> and New York's all right if you like saxophones. New York's all right if you like saxophones. 
And then they start to do a third song. I don't care about you! Where, and I think someone grabs the mic and yells, New York sucks. Yeah. And then that's when they cut the show. Yes. You can actually see the live footage. I think I have audio of it. Because they wanted a more authentic experience. They invited like actual like punk fans. And I think, uh, yeah. I forget, there are a couple of guys, specific guys that they invited that went on to be in like well-known bands and stuff. But yeah. they invited them so they could create an environment. And, it, and then it just it, and it really did. And it worked. Yes, if you, sure did. If you see the live show... You can find it on YouTube, the SNL performance. It's one of the better SNL performances that probably has ever occurred on the show. Oh, yeah. There's just something about SNL, especially in the 90s, which in the where I was obsessed with Saturday Night Live. Even good bands could sound very mediocre on that yeah. stage. I don't know what it is. It's I, like, don't, I, I agree. I don't know either. This Fear show, I don't know, best, one of the best I've ever seen. Yeah, apparently that happened on Halloween 1981. Yeah, look that up on YouTube. But, I, I will. But fear in this movie declined Western mm-hmm. civilization. Well, they lived to piss everyone off. There's a woman spitting on the band. Oh my gosh, this whole thing just gave me anxiety. I mean, they're asking for it. <laughs> the woman lunges at one of the guitarists on stage. Mm-hmm. It escalates very quickly. And if you want to uh, piss off a crowd um, in 1980, uh, a good thing you can do is yell homophobic slurs at them throughout mm-hmm. all the show. Yeah. And that will work. But she starts off like smiling, she'll spit and smiles, spit, spit, smile. Yeah. And she'll yell something, and then it just kind of, it kind of progresses to this like, yeah. very intense. The the spit the spitting and throwing things at punk shows is not like unusual. No, uh, I know bands in Europe. You read the book. This band will be your life. The bands featured in that book will have accounts of touring Europe. They end the show and they're just covered in like the saliva of the oh, audience. Oh, yeah, of course, yeah. And that was them saying that they liked you. And when you're at a punk show and they're spitting on you, they could either hate you or they could either love you. It could go either way. But fear, they wanted to make sure that you didn't like them very much. <laughs> and then they'd go into their music. They they performed uh, I Don't Care About You. I've seen empty eyes waiting to freeze when the bell rang too. They would do these very snide blues riffs, like, (laughs) and nothing was serious with that band. They just lived to just do everything you didn't want them to hear. And then they would just dive into these blistering punk songs. I think the Circle Jerks are probably the best live performance we see in this movie. I think the Fears performance, once they got into the actual music, was also very well done. And they were very good at playing fast and actually pretty good at their instruments. Yeah, I mean, and they went on. I mean, I think that leaving is especially was performed with fear, whatever whatever incarnation fear is in now. I mean, as recently as 2010 or yeah. something. Yeah. I don't know. Here's a fun fact about leaving, though. He was Mr. Body in Clue. Really? Yes. Clue is my one of my all time. <laughs> I've never seen it. You haven't, wait, wait, ho, ho, ho. Time out. Back it up. <laughs> Rewind. You've never seen Clue? No. A- Angela's loves it, too. Um, oh I just never got to it. I know it has its fans. Um, callers, call Bobby at home and tell him why he's wrong for not <laughs> for not ever watching Clue. Well, I can't Well, I don't hate it. I just haven't gotten to it, you know? I demand that you watch it tonight. You must. I mean, Lee Vings, and he plays Mr. Bobby, you'll see. You have, that does more to convince me to watch it. Yeah. And at the end, they sing I Love Living in the City, one of my favorite Fear songs.
And he tells a joke. I actually thought it was really funny. Yeah, what is the joke again? I'll tell you the joke. Okay. How many punks does it take to screw in a light bulb? 20. One to hold the ladder, one to screw the bulb in, and 18 on the guest list. <laughs> that was cute. I like jokes. You know that. <laughs> That's what we know about you. Right. You like jokes. <laughs> the movie um, mm-hmm. plays out on uh, a fear show. Yeah. And that's the end of the film. We get credits showing. They credit all the venues and the bands and where you see them. And pretty much that's it. That's the decline of Western civilization. That that is it. So Western civilization has declined at this point. I had a lot of fun sitting through that movie. Yeah, I did too. And it kind of brought back a lot of ups and downs feelings I have of the genre. Me too. And Ginger, we we don't rate in a uh, star rating scale. Right. Um, Who would want to, anyway? I don't, I don't know. Yeah. I I call Get it... Get out of here. They should call it the trash rating scale, the, mm-hmm. pointy, the pointy trash rating <laughs> scale. Mm-hmm. We rate in Hertzogs. Yes. I'm going to give this one through five Hertzogs. Okay. You're going to give it one through five Hertzogs. And then we will combine those Hertzogs to form a circle fit, bruh. Yeah. And mosh it out for best out of ten Hertzogs. Mm-hmm. Ginger... What do you feel about this movie, this right. classic film by Penelope Spheris, mm-hmm. The Decline of Western Civilization? I enjoyed it. I thought it was pretty pretty well done. I mean, you know, it, despite the limited amount, limited number of bands that were covered, I think it was a pretty good representation, a pretty good example, I guess, of what was going on. I would give this, let me do, let me just bump it up. To, I'll just bump it up to four. Okay. Four hard songs. Yeah. Okay, cool. One thing I want to point out that I really liked about this movie was the editing. The way it was all spliced together. I think this might be one of the best edited movies that, in my opinion, that we've done on the documenteers. I was talking about that part where Kickface is reading fan mail mm-hmm. and you're showing an image of like these punkers in the audience like going through their energy and through their emotions. I thought that was so sharp. Yeah. Very smart. It was all put together so great. We had our favorite performances in the movie, but they were all really good. And I love how it captured the time. And it really brought back for me a lot of the ups and downs of the period in this time that I don't miss. The music appreciation was in these camps, right? It was like, you couldn't listen to this and listen to this. And people who listen to this might beat you up for listening to this. And fuck disco, blah, blah, blah. Like that old hack bullshit. I think one of my favorite things about the modern appreciation of music is that people can own a Clash record and maybe a Fleetwood Mac record and maybe a Public Enemy record, and it's not that big a fucking deal. And I think that's something that we've moved on from those punk scenes. They were reacting a lot to the big music on the radio at the time. So you had a lot of these... I think bands at this time would yell at you if you listen to Fleetwood Mac. Yeah. Or, I mean, I own most Fleetwood Mac records, even the pre-Stevie Nicks era. And a lot of that is unlistenable. I'm just a fucking nerd, and I want to (laughs) understand this fucking crunchy, lame blues rock, you know? The discomfort of the things that I remembered of this time and the violence and, like, the way people treated each other. But these are also aspects of it that that burnt out, that burnt the... The peaks of these scenes out. And while punk may have gone into a musical direction or acknowledged in a musical direction that I didn't really feel like musically I connected to very much, these scenes in some way or another, small or big, they kind of accordioned out or called themselves something else. They never really went away and that and the nuance of this ethos still exists to this day. It just might be a lot smaller and more compact, but they're not reserved 
for just being in one way. I don't know why I'm going on all that tangent. I don't know if it has. I really enjoyed this movie quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And and I had a lot of fun watching it. I appreciated Penelope Spears' approach mm-hmm. to these bands. And it might seem a little silly, but I think she had a point with approaching it the way she did. Yeah. And the editing, I got to give, again, I can't praise this editing enough. I think it was edited by Charlie Mullen and Peter Will. They did a fucking great job. Yeah. I'm going to give this movie, gosh, I gave Iron Maiden a five. Yeah. Can I give this one a five? And this is as much a Los Angeles movie as it is a punk rock movie. Look, I got to give it a five. Do it. Can't help it. Nice. Five Hertz songs. Yeah. You gave it four. I give it five. The Decline of Western Civilization by Stephanie Spears. Nine out of 10 Hertz songs. That's not bad. I think that's a totally. I think that is a totally worthy score. I have to say your your impassioned speech, though, has kind of made me second guess my four Hertzog rating. Oh, yeah? Maybe 4.25 even or okay. something. Let's make it a 9.25. Let's do it. Let's 9.25 out of 10 Hertzogs. Sweet. We went full 10 with the Iron Maiden. I feel like I was learning a lot. Mm-hmm. And in this movie, I felt like it was both bringing about the things that I loved about this scene, but also showing me the things that I don't miss yeah. about it. And that's kind of what punk is to me. It's a complicated relationship. Yeah. But it's all about the aggression and the energy, mm-hmm. and it plays a big role. And it's an ethos that in my personal works and in my – I mean, I kind of feel like I'm doing some DIY shit with the documenteers here. Yeah. I don't know if it how well it comes through, but I feel like in just in my personal style – I'm also conveying a bit of a punk ethos and putting this together in my little office here with my friends and putting this out there. I agree. I think that you're absolutely right about that. And I and the influence of of this music, it goes into what I make to this day, whether it be drawing or recording or whatever. So this kind of maybe reminded you of those roots a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Nice. And so, yeah, I did have a very personal connection to this movie. And this movie's a classic and decided a lot. So people should know if you haven't seen it, then I would highly recommend it. Definitely. And and if you haven't seen it in a while, I would still highly recommend it. Mm -hmm. A lot of people pretty much already know what we're talking about. and Hopefully you're glad to hear us revisit this. Punk rock classic. I think our next one has got to be like country or something. We got to do like a country doc. Yeah, that sounds that sounds fun. I don't know many country docs. I I don't know any, but I'm sure they've got to be out there, right? Yeah, we'll have to do some research. <laughs> yeah, but tune in our next decline next week. We'll come in. I think Stuart will be here for part two, so we will be doing the whole decline series. So stay tuned, Ginger. Thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me. This was great. I can't wait to to get into more rock documentaries with you. Rockumentaries, yes. Keep on rocking and keep on docking. That's my rendition. That's good. That's good. No, not at all, because I hate painters. Tentpole! <laughs>